Please uh, join with me. Our Lord, our God, what a great and awesome God you are. I love a God who is uh, so loving and compassionate. Lord, your, your love runs deep and your compassion broad. And we are the great beneficiaries of all this, Lord God, that you love us with a love that is immeasurable. Lord, it is uh, as the sands of the seashore, as the stars and the sky, so is your love, Lord, without limits. For you have given us of yourself, you have given us of your, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, to be our Savior. Lord, that through his death and resurrection we might be rightly related to you, having the forgiveness of sins and newness of life. You've also given us of your spirit to instruct us and guide us. And you've given us your word to objectively, Lord, instruct us. And through the power of your spirit, Lord, to be um, transformed by the renewing of our minds. Even now this morning, Lord, just ask that you would draw Lord, those who don't know you, to, to know you in saving faith. And Lord, we just pray that you would uh, sanctify those who do know you, that you would make us a bit more like Christ today and help us to understand how it is that you do that and how we can cooperate with your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, beloved, as um, we have been looking at, uh, as we've been doing the last several weeks, we're going to look at the biblical teaching on sanctification. Well, the sanctification which flows from our, uh, really the study of sanctification flows from our study of 1 John. Particularly what uh, we've been focusing on that's encapsulated in 1 John chapter 3 verses 9 and 10. Which says this, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. And the whole concept of practicing righteousness is really what we've been focusing on with our focus on progressive sanctification. And progressive sanctification, as I mentioned before, is an extremely important doctrine. It's important that you understand how it is God works in you so that you could cooperate with Him and be more like Christ and thus bring more glory to God. It's also important that you recognize true sanctification in your life because it's another means by which God uses in your life so that you would know that you're genuinely saved. That's what John is saying. The practice of sin is a clear indicator that you're not saved. The breaking of that, the fact that you do not continue and practice sin is a clear mark of someone who has been saved. And beloved, you can fool people with your external actions, but this examination goes to your heart. Obviously, if someone's living in, in sin, such as fornication, we, we, if they're living in that, we know them to be acting as an unbeliever and should be treated that way. But sometimes believers go through all the external actions, or you should say, professing believers, those who would claim to know grace, go through all the external actions and they fool everybody. And if you look at their, the, the outside, they, they look like a genuine believer, but they're not fooling themselves. And they're not fooling God. 
So, beloved, this isn't a, 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 these messages on sanctification aren't a way for you to continue the, a shell game, if you were. You know, this is for you. This is for primarily for you to analyze your life. People don't do that sometimes. Sometimes even well-known people, sometimes even pastors, or so-called pastors, you may have heard recently in the news all the, the controversy of Joshua Harris's apostasy, of the, of the one who was so famous for writing a book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and later wrote about the courtship to his wife, has now kissed marriage goodbye with the announcement of a divorce, pending divorce from his wife and no longer considers himself to be a Christian by any biblical terms. Sending shockwaves through much of evangelical community, particularly the homeschool community from which Joshua Harris hails from and that of his, his parents are very influential and that were very influential that in the early years. And some would say still are. What are we to make of this? Here's a, pal, here's a guy that, that claimed to know Christ, gave all the evidence of coming to know Christ. He was personally discipled by C.J. Mahaney, very talented, expositor of the Word of God. Pastored that church for quite a number of years and then set sail. In, many, in more ways than one. Beloved, don't let the apostasy of someone, even someone well-known, shake your faith. Joshua Harris, unfortunately, was an imposter. He was an imposter. Currently, I would label him as one of those wolves. Now, he no longer calls himself a Christian, But by his apostasy and turning away from Christ, there is great danger that others will likewise walk away from the faith, thinking, well, if a pastor can do that, what hope is there for me? Well, beloved, understand that Joshua Harris was never saved. He gave all the marks of being saved, even convincing those closest to him that spent so much time with him But he never fooled himself. He knew. If he would have examined himself for the spiritual marks of sanctification, not the external, but as we're going to talk about the internal, he would have known he was never saved. That's what John is talking about. And certainly, Joshua never fooled God. And the Lord exposed what needed to be exposed. And we can pray for his repentance. So I I can't see where Joshua's state, spiritual status is. But if he continues in his apostasy, he was never saved. Never at all. But we can pray for his repentance. And we can pray, indeed, if he's not a believer, we can pray for his salvation. And comfort for his family, which are going through such a tragic time. Beloved, we live, in a, we live in a world where we need to be sanctified. I mean, just look at the headlines. Mass shooting after mass shooting. And if our government decides to collect all the guns up, the killing will continue. Just look at London. Just look at Detroit. 
Just look at California. They have some of the strictest gun laws in the world. People will just find other ways to kill because the instrument of the killing is not the issue. It's the heart. So we need to understand sanctification of the saints. And I'm not going to take the time to really go through and, and review what we've, we've covered before, but I just want to remind you that sanctification is that work of God that, that makes us like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And specifically, progressive sanctification is, is the phase of salvation occurring between, between justification and glorification in which God continuously delivers his child from the pollution of sin and renews his whole nature in the image of God and enables him to perform good works. And we looked last week at why progressive sanctification is such a battle. In summary and in short, progressive sanctification is is so hard because it's warfare. It is literal spiritual warfare. If you are truly in Christ... You have been given a new heart, a heart that longs to obey God, a heart that loves God's word, and yet you find within yourself the principle of sin working within your members, your human fallenness, which has not been redeemed yet. And these are battling a war with one another. And so that's why it's so hard, because it truly is warfare. You know, we, we thankfully have lived in a, in a country that's had peacetime for a long time. We've had wars, but they've been elsewhere. So, by and large, civilians haven't experienced the, how difficult warfare can be. But our soldiers, sailors, marines, and pilots have experienced that. But, but in that same sense, we are called to have a wartime mentality as believers. A war against the flesh. So that's why it's so hard. This morning, I really want to spend the bulk of our time answering really principally one question, and then, and then I'll, I'll close with really two that I hit kind of in summary. The principal question is this. How do we cooperate with God's work of progressive sanctification? How do we cooperate with God's work of progressive sanctification? In my, in my uh, study of this, I read uh, Michael Riccardi's little book entitled Sanctification, the Christian's Pursuit of God-Given Holiness. So I'm going to try to get copies for us because I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very helpful summary of, the, of sanctification. So I'll work on getting copies of that for you. But my, my understanding of sanctification was definitely sharpened uh, by his uh, analysis and summary of sanctification. So I'm going to largely follow his line of thought as he, as he develops the idea of sanctification. So I just wanted to put that out there in the beginning, that the flow of thought and argumentation is not original with me, but in many ways attributed to my brother in Christ. Who, um, many of you don't know Michael Riccardi is a pastor at Grace Community Church uh, under uh, Pastor MacArthur, so a very faithful ex- expositor and, uh, of God's word. The key texts that I want to direct our attention to, we're going to read them, and then we're going to refer back to them as we go through our sermon, uh, as we go through this study. The first one is in Philippians. So turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. There are so many areas uh, in Scripture, so many places in Scripture that we could turn to to talk about sanctification, 
but uh, there are two key ones that are going to kind of like be a golden thread throughout our study this morning. Philippians chapter 2, specifically verses 12 to uh, 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And you can keep a thumb or a little bookmark or a piece of paper because we're going to turn back to that one. But with that in mind, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. For really, I call the second principle text that helps us understand how we are to cooperate with God's work of progressive sanctification. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. These two texts will will help us to understand how it is that we are to cooperate with God's work of progressive sanctification. So, So how do we cooperate with God's work? The first thing we have to get our mindset right about what is sanctification So the first thing I want you to understand is to understand that progressive sanctification is fundamentally an internal and spiritual work of God. Sanctification is fundamentally an internal and a spiritual work of God, meaning it's not something external. It isn't primarily concerned with the externals. Look at Philippians 2. As we consider this, God is working what? In us. So Paul calls the Philippians to work out their salvation. And the reason is, is given in the beginning of verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you. It's his work in you. It It is primarily his work to will and to work his good pleasure. This means God's not just working in us so that we would do the right things, but that we would do the right things with the right attitude. This means He is working on our desires. He is working to change the things that we love, to love what He loves and to hate what He hates. That is His work of transformation. It's a work that's done in our hearts. And I'm not, just to be clear, I'm not talking about the organ in your body that pumps blood. I'm talking about your soul. So he's at work to change the very fabric of your being. There's more proof of this from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. There the word transformed is the Greek word metamorphor, which is related to our English word metamorphosis. And metamorphosis describes a change of form. Um, we, we see this even in nature. For example, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. But, but the, the idea of metamorphosis in 2 Corinthians 3.18 isn't simply talking about an external change. There is a profound internal change 
that causes and drives that external change. Right? The same idea is there, the image of, in nature of that caterpillar becoming the butterfly. Right? There is a drastic change going on within that causes the external to change as well. So this word indicates that the outward change in form is due to an inward change. And this transformation into the image of Christ is done by the Holy Spirit as he works within us. As Pastor Riccardi notes, metamorpho describes the inner transformation of the essence of a person, an inward change in a fundamental character. So not only does God give you a new heart when he justifies you, when he redeems you, when he, when he gives you the new birth, but then he, he transfers that and he helps you to grow in your desire to do what is right. Remember that human beings were created as spiritual and physical beings. And when God grants you a new heart, you're completely redeemed in your spirit. But the, the physical part of you the, the human fallenness is still there. And that's what God is working to slowly redeem. And that will be finally completed at the end when we see Christ be with him and to be like him when we see him as he is. But it's the idea of a, of a change from within. And only God can do that work. There's more proof of this in another text. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You can either turn there or just listen as I read it. You probably have it memorized. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, the, the word transform, that's the same Greek word metamorpho from, our, we get, from where we get our English word metamorphosis. And, and notice in this text how the word is being used to, in contrast with the word conformed. Paul first says there, he says, don't be conformed. The word conformed means to be pressed and stamped into a mold. It's as if uh, you're in a, a stamping plant for one of the major car manufacturers, and these big sheets of metal come in flat, and the big presses, you see the, the metal goes in flat, and in just seconds, that press comes down and completely transforms that piece of metal into a quarter panel. That's what the word conformed means. It's externally pressed into a mold. Well, God says, don't be that way. Don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed. And the word transform has the idea of not an external transformation, but an internal one. And that's what he's saying. So, so what are the implications of this in regards to sanctification? The first thing, the first implication is that this helps us understand why legalism will never get you to holiness. It just never will. Your list of to-dos might be short, or they might be really long. It might be imposed from your parents, or it might be imposed from another source. Those things, while those things very well could be good things, and that they are good disciplines, the practice of those things will never transform you. Legalism never changes the heart. And, and Christianity just continues to struggle with this time and time again. The externals don't change you. Those externals, some of them are commanded by Scripture, but if we're just doing them from a purely external action, they are non-transformational. 
They do not connect to your heart. You can absolutely read the Bible and it not connect to your heart. It has no impact on you spiritually. You can absolutely memorize scriptures and it have absolutely no impact on your life. There are Hebrew scholars who have memorized the entire Old Testament, but it has no impact on their life. That's what I'm talking about. That merely external stuff. And as Pastor Riccardi explains, as God works in us, both to will and to work His good pleasure, He inclines our hearts to treasure the glory of Christ. And as we behold Him with the eyes of our heart, our minds and our affections are renewed so that we love Him more and love sin less. We are transformed from the inside out. Now, if this were not so, and sanctification were simply a matter of performing external duties, then Nike sanctification would make sense. And again, I'm continuing to quote him. He goes, you know, just do it. Try harder. Be better. And many Christians conceive of sanctification in a way that is not substantially different from that. And and what you have here is a kind of moralistic externalism that depends not on the Spirit of God working within you, but on the strength of your own willpower whether your heart is properly engaged or not, unquote. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses can experience that kind of change. Muslims can experience that kind of change. Even atheists can experience that kind of change. The kind of sanctification that the scriptures talk about only originate from the power of God to do that. Progressive progressive sanctification not only engages the heart, it starts in the heart. It doesn't start from outside. It starts in the heart because that's where the the Holy Spirit resides within every true believer to get that process going. And that's why we can say that that no one's going to be saved and just kind of like muddle along and not grow spiritually. Understanding sanctification as an internal and spiritual work helps us to, to see that, that mere conformance to an external standard does not produce true holiness. Right? You could fake some people around you, but you can't fake yourself. You know your heart. So one of the implications is that as parents who want to raise children to glorify God, we set in place external uh, controls, principles, disciplines that are good and that they're teaching our children to do the right things. But we need to be very cautious that we do not presume that, those, that the mere observance of those external controls regenerate the heart or conform the heart. If we do, it's, it's merely a pretense. And for the young people here this morning, you need to understand that, that obedience to your parents is, is a good thing that's commanded by God. But a mere obedience to your parents in an external sense, you do it because otherwise you're going to get punished. That's an external sense. Doing it merely for that reason doesn't honor God and doesn't transform your heart. There are times when you are not going to want to obey your parent. That's just, that every child is like that. I can remember that myself. Your parents are going to say something that you don't like and you don't want to do. But realize that if you at that moment will pray and ask God to incline your heart to obey your parents, He will answer that. He will help you. So you do not have to like, just like 
bites your upper lip and don't talk back to your parents. You just do what he has to do. And, you know, it's like the little kid that, was, that, that stood up in the middle of, of, say, a church service and her parents told him to sit down and to sit down and to sit down. And they, he knew he was going to get punished. So he finally sat down, but he was like, I'm sitting down, but inside I'm standing up. Right? That, that's what we're talking about. That kind of obedience doesn't sanctify at all. So the examples, the positive examples of this from Scripture are found in places like Romans chapter 6, verse 17. I'll read that to you. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. You hear that? Obedience from the heart. That's what God wants. God doesn't want just mere externalism. He got perfect or near perfect externalism. It wasn't perfect, but nearly perfect externalism from the Pharisees. And yet you know what he says about them, about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He wants the heart. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 Paul, Paul describes his, the service of the Ephesian church or what his prayer for them. He's saying, he's saying obedience comes not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. It's doing the right thing when nobody's watching. Nobody's watching. You know, it's taking that business trip all by yourself. Nobody knows you. But it's doing the right thing because you want to honor God, even though you could get away with a lot of sin if you wanted to, or you think you could. There's some cities that pride themselves on saying that what happens here stays here. That's a lie, because God always exposes sin, always. So understand that sanctification is an internal work. You can't do it. You have to depend upon God to do it. Second point. Understand that progressive sanctification is a thoroughly sovereign work of God. It's a completely sovereign work of God. So in a sense, what we're saying is, although we're going to talk about your part in a minute, we need to understand it's not like God does two-thirds and we do a third. We don't do half and God does half. We don't do 99% or God does five. God doesn't do 95%, we do five. What the scriptures teach is it's God's work in us. There's a part where we cooperate. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But we need to understand that it's God's work of transformation. We cannot transform our hearts. We can put ourselves in a place where God does that work. But even that isn't of ourselves. It's His work. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Um, Let me back up to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, that that says that it is God who is at work in you. Now, Paul's, it's a context where Paul's commanding them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, which, by the way, does in a type of fear and trembling, like, oh no, God's going to judge us, so I better work out my salvation. That fear is worship. And the trembling is the the trembling that that might accompany any, any fallen person in the presence of a holy God such as Isaiah, or the Apostle John, or the Apostle Paul. So it's a a sense of reverence with that fear and trembling and worship. But it's God's work. It's not 
you necessarily cooperating with God. There's, sometimes theologians talk about things as monergistic or synergistic. Monergistic means that only God does it. Regeneration is monergistic. God does it, period. You don't have anything to do with it. Some would say that sanctification is synergistic in that you, you work with God to bring about your sanctification. And what Michael Riccardi argues with it, that those classifications are unhelpful in thinking about sanctification. Because there's a part of which you do, but it's not really you that's doing it. It's God in you transforming your heart so that it is totally God doing this. That's not to say there's not your part, which we'll talk about in a minute. It's similar to the idea of of justification. You exercise faith in God, but even that faith isn't of yourself so that no one would boast. It's a gift. So ultimately, it all comes from God. And certainly your regeneration, you had nothing to do with that because you were dead before. And bringing you alive is all God's work. Now think about 2 Corinthians 3.18. I told you we're gonna, these are passages we're going to go back to. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, But we, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image from glory to glory. The text doesn't say we are transforming ourselves. We are being transformed. And and the particular agent in this particular case is as we view the glory of Christ, as we see Christ, as we see our Savior. We can't transform ourselves. That's impossible. Even even Romans 2, uh, sorry, Romans 12, chapter 2 agrees with this because it says it doesn't say, you know, don't be conformed, uh, but transform yourself. But it says, but be transformed. And it says, by the renewing of your mind. You can study scripture. You can memorize scripture. You can listen to lots of sermons about scripture. But you can't renew the mind. God has to do that. That's his work. And I think we see a, a bit of this come out in, 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 as, in Paul's message to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. The Apostle Paul ascribes the work of sanctification entirely to God. Listen, um, as I read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. He says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. A couple observations. Notice he says that, that may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. He's doing the work, and Paul adds the emphasis, entirely. Entire means 100%. He's doing that work. And then he says, and may, may your spirit, soul, and body, that is, all of you, be preserved complete without blame. Right? Without blame. Without blame. He's not talking about justification. He's talking about you, your whole being. In other words, your physical body as well as your spiritual part being preserved without blame. This is another way of saying what John says. We will be like him when we see him as he is. That transformation. And that's his work. He does it. And that's why uh, Louis Burkhoff explains that sanctification, I quote, consists fundamentally in a divine operation 
in the soul. It consists fundamentally in a divine operation in the soul. You and I can't do this. So sanctification is an internal and spiritual work that is primarily, that is completely done by God and is primarily carried out by the Holy Spirit. The Father ordained sanctification. He said, be holy for I am holy. And that's just not talking about justification. That's talking about your whole being. The Son provided the sacrifice and newness of life necessary for sanctification. And he even prayed for his followers' sanctification. He prayed in John 17, 17 for his disciples. But he was praying for, the, for us as well. Because he goes on to say that. I pray for not just these only, but also those who would come to believe in his name through them. But it is the Holy Spirit who is the member of the Trinity, who is given by gift of the Father and the Son, who lives within us. He lives within all true believers to transform us. It's by the Holy Spirit that we cry out as sons and daughters of, of, God, of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 4, describes the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of holiness. He's the Spirit of holiness, which is not surprising, considering we often refer to Him as the Holy Spirit. But understand that that the Holy Spirit is not just a name of this person of the Godhead. It's his characteristic driven into his people. He is the Spirit who generates holiness in us, the children of God. And as a Spirit of holiness, as Galatians 5.17 tells us, he works within us to set his desire against our flesh. Remember, there's, there's battle going on. That's why it's so hard. But we have a superior force who has set us free from slavery to sin and is there to strengthen us and help us. Remember, Scripture says that when anyone faces a temptation, they're to look for the way of escape because the Lord will provide that way of escape. Sin is not inevitable. It is not your destiny. There is a way of escape, and that escape is found through reliance on the Holy Spirit. But He is at work in us, setting His desire against the thing that our fallen flesh wants to do. And, and we know that uh, from passages like Galatians 5, verses uh, 22 and 23. But speaking about, or sorry, Galatians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, we get to a section that, that we, we know as the fruit of the Spirit. And we could just say that fruit of the Spirit and kind of move on without giving it much thought. But think about that. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there are no law. But, he, but he's saying the fruit of the Spirit, meaning these aren't things that you just like externally contrive within yourself. These are things that are produced by the Holy Spirit, Him working in us. It's His work. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things he produces in our lives. Now returning to the thought of, that we find in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're told that the agent of the transformation is the Spirit. But listen again, I'll read it. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, listen, 
just as from the Lord. And you would think Jesus, right? It says the Lord, the Spirit. Right? The term the Lord and the Spirit are in opposition to one another. That means they're describing the same person here. The Spirit is called the Lord here. And, and I know that the, the Trinity is a, is a marvelous mystery. And we rightly teach on different activities of each member of the Trinity, in this case, the Holy Spirit. But understand, we serve one God. So don't allow our conversation about the, our teachings about the persons of the Godhead to cloud or to eclipse the teaching that we only have one God. And this is a mystery, but it's taught in Scripture. But it's the Holy Spirit who is at work in us to transform us. So how do we cooperate with God's work of progressive sanctification? We first understand progressive sanctification is fundamentally an internal and spiritual work. We also need to understand that uh, sanctification is thoroughly a sovereign work of God. We need Him to do it. But in addition to these two truths, we need to understand that progressive sanctification is accelerated by the dependent use of God-ordained instruments of transformation. Sanctification is accelerated by the dependent use of God-ordained instruments of transformation. And what are these transformations? We'll talk about them uh, in a moment. But, but since progressive sanctification is an internal and spiritual work, and that it is a completely a sovereign work of God, these truths are so clear that some believers have made the mistake of, of going to an extreme. And, and usually many truths in Scripture are held to be held in tension with one another. Like we were just talking about, God is one, yet He's three persons. Those are to be held in tension with one another. You can't resolve that tension. Right? Scriptures don't. Your mind can't. That tension is to remain. Another place of tension is like when we call people to repentance, and at the same time we affirm God's sovereignty and salvation. Those are to be kept in tension. Both are true. The tension is not to be resolved. But people try to resolve the tension. So here they say, well, sanctification is, is all of God. It's His work. It's an internal work. And, and so that causes some people to, to kind of relieve the tension by saying, well, there's not much I can do then. There's not much I can do. These, these people um, support this so-called higher life theology um, to their own detriment. These, this, this higher life theology is alternate, and that, that term kind of goes back uh, several messages to when I was talking about that. It's supported very widely today in many different Christian circles, even in evangelical circles. Wesleyans, Methodists, and many teachers in the former Keswick movement would tell you that to grow spiritually, you simply have to let go and let God. That's, their, that's the key term, the key phrase. You ever hear that? You know where they're coming from, uh, from their, at least their view of sanctification. If they say let go and let God, uh, they're exactly talking about what uh, this higher life theology. That, that there's, it's all God, we can't do it. They've, re, they've tried to relieve a tension that God intends to remain. One such teacher, Andrew Murray, would tell a person that to grow spiritually, he must, and I quote, cease entirely from, doing, from his own doing. Sorry, cease entirely from his own doing and wait for the working of God in him. Just wait. Just wait. 
And he said, he continues, he says, as in proportion, as he yields himself as a truly passive instrument in the hands of God, he will be welled of God as an active instrument of his almighty power. So he said, it's just, you just got to wait. You just got to wait. Passively, you wait. Others, like Hannah Whittall Smith, who wrote a book that sold many, many copies, so it's widespread. But she would say that a Christian must continually surrender himself and continually trust. Those are, those are good terms. We understand. We need to surrender. We need to trust. And so they're widely adopted. But when it comes to sanctification, that's not what you're called to do entirely. And that's what she's saying. You're entirely, in your totality, are to surrender yourself and continually trust. And you wait. And you wait until some crisis moment happens in your life when God brings about the sanctification. So are we to be completely and simply passive in the process? How can we truly surrender, yield, and trust when these things come from the heart anyway? I mean, if that really was the path of sanctification where you surrender and trust, how in the world do you do that if your heart's not in it? That's a pretty hopeless circle. You know, in the early years of my engineering training, we learned how to, to write uh, computer programming. And if you got it wrong, the computer would enter an infinite do loop. It would never finish. It would just keep working. You had to push the kill button to get it to stop. Right? Well, that's what this is. If I got to surrender and trust, and, and, and my surrender and trust is directly proportional to whether God sanctifies me or not, well, I'm hopeless. I'm a hopeless do loop. That's what I am. How in the world am I going to work in my heart to get my trust good enough where God will actually come into my life and use it? That's a hopeless do loop. Before Christ, we were indeed helpless. Understand that. But those who are in Christ are not helpless. We've been given new life. We've been given the Holy Spirit within us. And we've been given a means or instruments of sanctification. The scriptures call us to fully participate with the internal and sovereign work of sanctification that God is doing in his children. This is what I talk about. We, we dare not relieve the tension. Sanctification is an internal work. It's totally of God. And you are called to cooperate with it, realizing that what you do equates to nothing. It amounts to nothing. It's like your faith. It's God. In a way, you could say it's driven back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where, where God drives that faith and gives you faith so that, so that you would do the good works that he has prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. He's prepared them. He gets all the credit. But listen, I return to Philippians 2. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, think about what he's saying. He said, so then, my beloved, just as you have obeyed, not in my presence only. You know, there's, there's an idea when someone's present, obedience comes a lot easier, doesn't it? I mean, think about your life. As a kid, your mom and dad's around, a whole lot easier to obey than when they're not around. Right? Think about it. Every day you see this. Anybody that drives to work sees this. You see it at least once a week. Right? So, Everybody's rushing along, acting all mad and driving crazy and going really fast until what? Police car. And he doesn't even have to be doing anything. I mean, sometimes they're sitting around, you can see them with their gun. They're gunning. Sometimes they're just sitting on the side of the road, writing up a ticket or doing their paperwork or whatever, and everybody's like hitting their brakes. Right? Happens every time, 100% of the time. So... 
Paul's saying, obey not just when I'm present. Obey when I'm absent. What is he talking about? He's talking about that obedience that comes from the heart. And he's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a command. We are to work it out. Well, yeah, pastor, you just said that it was all God's work. Yes, I did. And remember we talked about that tension. The tension is it's all God's work. Nonetheless, you are commanded to work out your salvation. Here he's talking about the part of salvation that referring to sanctification. If you have questions about that, read the context where he goes. Because he goes immediately to uh, a tra- external transformation. He's not talking about justification. He's not saying, you need to work out your justification. That's not at all what he's saying. He's talking about sanctification. As Michael Riccardi explains, God's work is not an excuse for us not to work. It is the very ground of our working. That's a, that's a profound thought. So, that God is working in us should encourage us to work with Him. It's not an excuse for us to get lazy and say, well, I'll just let God do it all since He's at work. That would be sin. I'd like you to turn to another passage uh, and see this for yourself. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm uh, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, we'll see this tension. I'll just pick up reading in verse, verse 2, the little context. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Oh, there it is. God did it. He granted it. We got everything. But is there, notice where we're going to go. Notice if there's any call just to sit back and let go and let God. That's not here. So he's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by, lu- by lust. That's, again, God, God's doing. Verse 5, listen. Now, for this very reason... Because of God's work, because God has provided everything, given you everything for life and godliness, verse 5, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a precious text that is. But it's not talking about mere externalism. If you practice these things from mere externalism, there's no transformation of the heart and it does no good. It's like fake fruit. It's It's like having an apple tree and you can't get the apple tree to produce good fruit. Uh, so, as many theologians have, have said, several have said, it's like going out with a staple gun and buying a bushel of nice-looking apples and stapling those apples to the apple tree. Right? From a distance, it'll look good to get close and you realize those apples are stapled on. What's wrong with this? Right? So, externalism just puts on stapled apples, if you stapled fruit, fake fruit. They're not, it's not genuine. It's not coming from within. Listen to Pastor MacArthur. Um, well, let me, let me uh, back up just a moment. 
Hebrews chapter, along these same lines, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue it. It's something you are commanded to pursue. You pursue sanctification. And he's saying, if you don't have it, you're not going to see the Lord. Now, the good news is, it's God's work. But you are nonetheless called to pursue it. In a parallel text, Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Having talked about how the the greatness of, of God has done for us in conquering sin and conquering death through Jesus Christ our Lord, he says this. He says, he commands, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Again, that that talks about a command that, that needs a transformation of the heart in order for that to be a sanctifying work. And there are many other passages like this, like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says to flee immorality. Flee immorality is the opposite of running towards or pursuing sanctification. So how are we un- to understand the relation between our work and, and God's work in sanctification? We must allow that tension to remain. We are called to work, but we must realize that, our, that we must work dependently through the means that God has provided that, that is, without God working, the house isn't built. We need God to work in our lives. But he has provided a means by which he works, or through which he works. Listen to Pastor uh, MacArthur and, and Mayhew elaborate on this, and I quote, Thus, while believers cannot directly affect the inner transformation of sanctification for their souls, and while sanctification is properly said to be the Spirit's work, Believers are not entirely passive in sanctification. Instead, the Holy Spirit affects his sanctifying transformation in the hearts of believers through the use of means that must be appropriated, unquote. A Scottish Puritan, Henry Scrugel, illustrates sanctification in this way, and I quote, All the art and industry of man cannot form the smallest herb or make a stock of corn to grow in the field. It is the energy of nature and the influences of heaven which produce this effect. It is God who causes the grass to grow and the herb for the service of man. And yet, nobody will say that the labors of the farmer are useless or unnecessary. It's a wonderful illustration. The farmer must go work the land. He must plant the crop. At times, he must water it providing the nutrients that it needs. But it's God who causes the growth. The farmer can't do that. So how do we cooperate with God's work of progressive sanctification? Understand it's fundamentally an internal and spiritual work that is a completely sovereign work of God and that progressive sanctification is accelerated by the dependent use of God-ordained Instruments of transformation. We're going to hit some of those just very quickly. I realize we're about out of time. We must dependently and systematically employ the means of progressive sanctification. What are these? Number one, Scripture. Scripture. Our Lord Jesus said this, prayed this in John 17, 17. So if you're a believer in Christ, he prayed this for you by extension. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
First Peter 1, chapter 2, verse 2, Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Right? And there primarily he's talking about sanctification. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. It's talking about that transformation. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says, To take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Scripture. And how do we get the Scripture into us? Through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. We all need that. Even your pastor needs to hear preaching and teaching of God's Word. But it, it doesn't stop there. It's your own reading of the Word of God and your own studying of the Word of God. So the primary means is Scripture, but there are others. Prayer is another means of sanctification. And this may step on all of our toes a bit. Maybe one of the reasons that we're not growing more in sanctification and we're not more mature is we're simply not spending enough time in prayer. And I'm not referring to external time. I'm not, I'm not saying that. It's not a matter of time. If it's external, you could spend you know, theoretically, you're all your waking day on your knees and not grow in sanctification. And prayer happens a lot. But we're talking about individual prayer as well as corporate prayer. You know, God transforms us through that. Prayer is one means that God transforms us. How many of the, of the psalms do we read where the, where the psalmist is like a little bit upset? He's a little bit agitated. In fact, you could say he's angry with God for God not acting. But by the end of that psalm, he's what? Through prayer, he has entered into the heavenlies, thought about, guided by Scripture, thought about God's righteousness and how God will judge the wicked, and he's totally transformed by the end. Without his circumstances changing many, really, as far as we know. And that's what we're talking about. If you're angry with God, go talk to him in prayer about it. Don't pretend like it's not there. God already knows. Submit your will to His and see if He doesn't transform you even while you pray that. Pour your heart out to Him. He hasn't left you. You may feel like He's left you, but He hasn't left you. So prayer. Being devoted to Scripture. Being devoted to prayer. But another one is fellowship with the saints in the context of a local church. Fellowship with the saints in the context of the local church. You might not have thought about this as a tool of sanctification. This is why it's another reason it's so important to be part of a local church. Those who abandon a local church and think they can be diligent Christians uh, all on their own without the local church uh, short-circuit their sanctification. They will always be somewhat immature and will not grow like God wants them to. Because working with the saints, I mean, many of us enjoy time together, but there are times where we're not going to enjoy time together. Where it might be a little bit difficult. But that's the very place that God wants you to be so you'll, again, turn to Him internally and ask Him how to love someone you wouldn't normally love. I mean, it's easy to love someone who likes what you like and, you know, everything. There's so many similarities. But how do you do when there's someone that, that isn't like you? that doesn't like the same things that you like. Normally those drives a wedge, but God has a unique way of putting people in, in a church that are from different, have different likes in together that make it a little difficult sometimes. 
But, but that's not the extent of it. Just worshiping with the saints can have a sanctifying effect. And then throw on top of that church discipline. I mean, that, that can have a, a major impact in people's lives. In a rescuing way, it's not a harsh thing. It's meant to rescue people. I would say even a cent, to a certain extent, giving. You know, we, we keep giving here uh, listed as an act of worship because that's what it is. But how you give and the heart of which you give with can, can be something the Lord uses um, to sanctify you. And then, not to mention, there's the use of your spiritual gifts and ministry to one another. All that is extremely important. If you don't use your spiritual giftedness, the body of Christ isn't growing like it should. It's just not. I'll read to you Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Paul, Paul says there, But speaking the truth in love, we are, we, we, sorry, we are to grow up in all respects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. That every joint is talking about the member according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So if people aren't using their spiritual giftedness within a local church, that church is deprived of their spiritual giftedness and is not being built up and is not being made mature in the way that God intends. And the same is true in the other direction as well. That person isn't experiencing the, the, the gifting and the ministry of the body of Christ that would help them grow. But it's the proper working of each part that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So, scriptures, prayer, fellowship of the saints. Fourth one, providence. What do I mean by this? Very quickly. Looking at everything through the windows of Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Beloved, realize that when the person cuts you off in traffic, and I'm tempted to like get angry and honk my horn, or something like that, God is working through all these circumstances to expose what He wants to expose. To, to, um, to use an analogy of the, uh, I don't remember if it was Ed or Weld, uh, Ed or Ted. Uh, Ed Welch, Ted Tripp, one of the Tripp brothers, they use an analogy that our circumstances are the hot water. Um, if you put a, a tea bag in hot water, it brings out what's inside. And providentially, God puts us in circumstances we don't like to bring out what's inside in order that he can transform it. He exposes kind of like the ugly stuff inside of us through circumstances so that he can deal with that. And that's his, that's his mercy and grace. And then the other one I want to add to that, besides the scriptures, um, prayer, fellowship of the saints, providence, adding to providence, just obedience. Obedience. Reading the scriptures and setting your mind to obey your Lord. Whether that's the initial obedience of after you're saved, of, of being baptized, the obedience of us practicing the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in a moment, or obedience and evangelism. There's a great many of these it's simply obeying the Lord. Again, not from external formalism. But asking the Lord to make you obedient from the heart. These things are transformational. These are what God uses in our lives um, to transform us. And, it, it, and it's a great, great work that He does in us. So how do we cooperate? 
remembering that it's an internal work. Sanctification is an internal work that God does in a totally sovereign way and that we can accelerate that spiritual growth if we dependently employ the means of of grace, the means of sanctification the Lord has provided because He works through these means. And again, I just want to emphasize so much, not external formalism, but that internal character of the heart. Now, if you'll bear with me, I have two other questions I was going to throw at you, and I will cover these very quickly. What should characterize our progressive sanctification? So if we do these things, recognizing these things, and dependently employ the means of sanctification, what should characterize our progressive sanctification? I'm just going to cover these very briefly. First one is, we need to behold Jesus from all the scriptures and in all our walk of life. Seeing him work in us, seeing him primarily in the scriptures, but also seeing him in other people's lives. Beholding him through all our walks of life. Seeing him in the scriptures, seeing him in prayer, seeing him in our fellowship, seeing him providentially, seeing him in, as we obey him. Beholding him. Remember, that's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. We're transformed as we behold him. The other one is just a complete dependency upon God, and that really comes from many things I'm saying, so I won't elaborate on it. But something else that should characterize our progressive sanctification, hope. Don't lose heart. God doesn't want you to lose heart. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have ordained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in, ho- in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. So we are always to be filled with hope, even when we fail, realize that we have sinned, we have not pursued um, walking with the Spirit as we ought to, confess that as sin um, and turn away from it, repent, and know that the Lord is working in you to transform that, that you can overcome that uh, by depending upon the Lord to help you do that and, and to change you so you don't even want to do it anymore. Another thing that should characterize our sanctification is joy. Sometimes you think about growing in holiness, you only think about like, I don't know, there's a picture of like the staunchy Puritans that had no fun. We're called to rejoice. Paul says, rejoice again, I say again, rejoice. We are to be filled with joy, a joy that comes from knowing God and seeing him transform our lives and seeing him work through us. And the the other thing I want to add to that is just the other characteristic is determination. Now sometimes as Christians, we just give up way too soon. Way too soon. James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you can encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Beloved, we can be very thankful that there are men and, and even women who give a great deal of their life um, to protecting our country. They work very hard. Their training is very dangerous. And I'm speaking about police officers, but also our military. And they do this really for an earthly prize. They do it for patriotism. They do it for their families. 
Their training is very hard. And it's very hard because warfare is hard. But they're trained never to give up. Never to give up. They find ways to win the victory, even when all hope in the human sense is lost. That doesn't always work out, but that's their attitude. If they're willing to do that for an earthly reward, why are we as Christians not willing to pursue sanctification with that kind of dogged determination that we will never give up? No matter how hard, no matter the setbacks, no matter how difficult, no matter what the world thinks of us, we must be like that. And, and again, this is, you can't, I can't, I, I wish I could make everybody like that. I can't. God has to do that. God has to give you that. But I can call you to pray for it. Because that's what the scriptures want us to do and command for us. And we can rejoice in the fact that progressive sanctification is just a, relatively speaking, it's a short-term thing. It seems like long-term when you're going through it. But it's just during this phase of your life, however long that might live, and when you see Jesus like he is, it's all going to be done, complete, finished. You know, wherever you're at in the progressive sanctification scale, and we're all a long ways from being like God, but instantaneously he's going to make us like him. He's going to finish it just as like he started it. So, beloved, have great, great hope that the Lord will work in you his good pleasure. Now let's pray. Our Lord and our God, just thank you so much for giving us your word and instruction and Lord, just for doing your work in us. Oh, Lord, help us uh, to not to seek to resolve the tension in Scripture that is, uh, that is rightfully there, about sanctification being completely your work because it's all internal and only you can do it. And at the same time, we're, we're called to apply the means of sanctification, the means of grace that you have provided. Lord, work in our lives. Work in this church, Lord God, in each person's life, drawing them to Christ-likeness. For those who know you from, from glory to glory and for those who don't know you, Lord, bringing them to know you beginning to that starting place of glory and then continuing on until the end of when they will see Jesus and be made completely like him. Transform us, O oh Lord. Help us to be a, a holy people, for you are a holy God who will do your work in your people. We can bank on it. We can hope on it. We can put our confidence in it because you always keep your word. It's the name of Jesus we pray.